If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Pistons versus everybody on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and uh, yeah, this has been as we're doing this post game. It's just me tonight. Um, things got a little bit hectic. Things got a little bit crazy in Chicago for your Detroit Pistons, but uh, they still managed to come out with a loss, 105-102. Jeremy Grant scored 43 points, including I think it was what 19 in the fourth quarter. Just a a crazy duel between him and Zach Levine down the stretch of the game. I promise we're going to talk some more about Jeremy Grant in this podcast, but uh, you know, tonight was a fun game, but it was ultimately just one game and some really big stuff. This happened this week that I haven't really got a chance to talk about yet. So we're going to talk about that first. So Blake Griffin, right? Blake Griffin, where, where is the Blake Griffin situation right now? He's not going to play in Detroit anymore. He's done. It's a amicable split as far as these things go. Blake and the team are coming to an agreement, and it's not the team imposing, you know, a minute restriction on Blake, or it's not, you know, Blake refusing to play for the team. The situation is a little bit different, right, than the one we're seeing in Cleveland with our old friend Andre Drummond. I didn't want to do, like, a capital letter emergency podcast right as the news was breaking because the writing was kind of on the wall on this one. You know, I've been talking about that New York times profile of Blake Griffin, like since it came out and I kept referencing that because the, the answer was so obvious, right? Like Blake spoke openly about his desire to play for a winning team. And anyone could look at this Pistons team and say, this team is not a winning team. And so Blake not finishing out his contract with the Pistons was a matter of when, not if. And so there's only two ways that this goes. There's a trade and there's a buyout, which really means that there's only one way that this goes, which is a buyout. A trade is not an impossibility, but most trades go against the Pistons openly stated goal of developing the young guys. Like, All the dudes you could trade Blake for, all the really big contracts, either run longer than Blake's current deal does. You know, uh, Russell Westbrook's deal expires in 2023. John Wall's deal expires in 2023. You know, they're going to pick up those player options, right? Andrew Wiggins' deal expires in 2023, right? And so those aren't... (laughs) Those also aren't deals that are conducive to like getting your cap in a position to uh, to be a young team. Like the, those aren't great deals to trade for, just in general. Um, or the alternative is that a guy's making forty million dollars and he's really good, and Blake is not as good as most guys who are equitably paid at forty million dollars. And so that trade's just not happening. You know, 
I would love to be able to trade Blake for Steph Curry, but I, I don't think that's going to happen, sadly. Um, and if you wanted to, you know, combine some other smaller salaries and, and you know, help trade Blake in that manner, you in all likelihood would have to attach another asset to Blake in trade in order to make that trade happen. So that'd be, you know, Seku Dumbuya. That'd be Svima Hailuk. That'd be a, a future first round pick. Um, the Pistons are not in a position where they should be attaching assets to Blake at this point in their contention cycle, right? They are coming, they are rebuilding, they are, you know, going to be on the upswing soon, but uh, that means you, you can't, you know, rid yourself of assets that you're going to need, hopefully, in the future to make your team better. And so that that's why Blake is going to get bought out. And so the main thing that we need to know f- with the buyout is that the Pistons very likely can't escape some number of dead money on their salary cap next season. Now, this season is kind of a wash, but next season they, they still won't be able to escape uh, any any um, dead salary cap from Blake. Unless Blake gives back like everything he's owed, which I don't see him doing, and he has no real reason to do, and there's no precedent for him doing. And so I, you know, I don't see that happening. Uh, what matters then is like how much dead cap they're going to have on their books next season. Bobby Marks, the former uh, Brooklyn Nets GM, the current like fake NBA GM for ESPN. He tweeted that if Blake gave back $20 million in total salary, so two $10 million a year, $10 million a year over, you know, the final two years of his contract, the business would still count. $23.8 million of Blake's salary against the salary cap next season. It'd be like $30 million this season, but this season again is like kind of, you know, basically like a third of the way done and kind of a wash anyway. So $23.8 million is a lot of dead salary. Blake Griffin's ghost would be the highest paid player on the Pistons next season. It would make Blake Griffin's ghost would make more money than Jeremy Grant. However, because no one else on the Pistons makes any money, the Pistons could still kind of get under the salary cap pretty easily. You know, uh, they could go into the offseason with room under the cap. It would be pretty simple to make that happen. You don't extend a qualifying offer to Dennis Smith Jr. You cut Roddy Magruder, who only has a lightly, uh, is a light, like partial guarantee on the final year of his contract. And then, you know, before the draft, uh, you, you go into the offseason with cap space. Um, not a ton of cap space, right? You're not going to be able to sign another Jeremy Grant-sized contract with that cap space. I think it'd be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 7 to $10 million. But you could probably make another Josh Jackson-level signing, you know, with that cap space. Um what that meant when I like realized the the financials when I saw Bobby Marks tweet that when um, I saw when I you know pulled out my own cap sheet that I've got going and, and ran the numbers that made me feel much more confident that like a buyout was actually forthcoming and it would be something that both sides can agree with the the thing with I was thinking before 
is that, you know, because Blake makes so much money, I was thinking he would have to forgive a, uh, like a record setting amount of cash in order for the Pistons to be able to really be able to do anything next season. And it turns out you won't have to do that. You know, there, there's precedent for players forgiving $20 million in salary in a buyout. You know, Darren Williams has done it. Um, Larry Sanders has done it in, in his, uh, you know, retirement from the league. You know, it's not, it's not unheard of. Right. And, you know, the thing I was worried about was Blake, you know, needing to give back $40 million or 30 or $35 million or something in that neighborhood. Right. Like that, that is precedent setting, right? Like giving back $40 million of a, uh, well, I have a combined like 59 um, of like an almost $60 million deal like that, that would be a, uh, that would be a little bit crazy. And so now knowing that, you know, he won't have to do something that large. I think that that uh, makes the, the whole buyout situation a little bit feasible. Okay. So now that we know that Blake's not playing for the Pistons anymore, now that we can all kind of agree that he won't be traded now that we can all kind of agree that he will be bought out. Like what, does this mean for Blake, right? For Blake, it's actually pretty simple. Just stay in shape, wait for your agent to call you and tell you what's up and start packing your bags. I am sure that they have already discussed a like hard and fast number that they are not willing to go beyond. I am sure the Pistons are, like, you know, telling Blake and his rep- representation they are currently scouring the earth for someone to uh, trade Blake to. And I'm again, for all the reasons I just laid out, I don't think that's a reliable possibility. And so as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, like, yeah, you know, we're going to hit the number at which like Blake is going to, you know, say, you know, I'm willing to forgive X amount of salary. He's going to do that. And Tom Gores is going to write the check and Blake is going to be a unrestricted free agent where he goes. I'm not sure. You know, I've heard interest from, you know, there was rumored interest, you know, from the Lakers because, you know, Anthony, the whole, the whole Anthony Davis situation. Like, I don't know if you guys have noticed, like Blake Griffin is not exactly Anthony Davis. Blake did have his best game of the season against the Lakers. So he's got that going for him, but I don't know if that's a possibility. Uh, I've heard the Brooklyn Nets, right? Because the Brooklyn Nets don't care if you can play defense or not. And that's like Blake's limiting factor at this point. And so like, yeah, Blake could absolutely play the like Jeff Green role on that Brooklyn Nets team, or even just give them, give them another Jeff green, right? The, the, you know, the rising tide of Kevin Durant will lift Blake Griffin's boat. I've heard other possibilities, right? He could go back to the Clippers. I doubt that's a possibility. Again, if you remember the uh, infamous non handshake, he gave Steve Steve Ballmer. I really doubt he's going to be willing to come back to that Clippers team. Also, the Clippers kind of don't need another big man. Uh, they've already got like Abaka and Zubac, and that's the those are the two like solid like forty eight minutes of big man play. I don't know if that's a possibility. There are other destinations that are kind of fun. You know, Dallas would be kind of fun. Um, Toronto <laughs> would be kind of fun. I'm I'm laughing at like Nick Nurse kind of like shifting an entire defense uh, around the fact that like Blake can't defend. That would be kind of funny. And they do need bigs. Um, but yeah, and so there's, you know, there are other teams who are in contention for a championship. Um, Blake, you know, I presume Blake has a good relationship with Doc Rivers in, in Philadelphia. 
right? But like you know, they they need another power forward. Like they need a hole in the head. But uh, there's no, I, I don't know where Blake goes. And like honestly, as a Pistons podcast, as a Pistons analyst, as a Pistons uh, guy, like I don't doesn't really matter. Like I hope he's happy, right? I hope he succeeds in his new spot. I hope he. He plays for, he finds a role on the winning team that he's looking for and that he's happy and that, uh, you know, if if he gets to win a championship, like, that's great. But ultimately, like, for the Pistons, what this means is, like, much more complex. And so we can we can kind of transition into that. We saw a little bit of what it means tonight against the Bulls, right? Like Jeremy Grant is your full-time starting power forward. He's playing his real position again. Um, against Patrick Williams, uh, you saw Jeremy Grant has even more of a like skill and speed advantage on the perimeter most nights playing uh, power forward versus small forward. If he were playing you know, small forward, it would have been guarded by you know Garrett Temple. And in that, he would have a size advantage, but not necessarily like a, a speed advantage. And he would be more skilled than Garrett Temple, but, you know, he'd be more skilled than, uh, you know, most guys on the Bulls at that wing position. That's not really, you know, saying much. I think playing him in his real position is going to be good. We've seen like Jeremy Grant had been slowing down production wise prior to tonight. You hope that with another big man uh, off the floor, Jeremy's able to get to the basket easier. We saw that down the stretch of the Bulls game. Uh, that could just be because Jeremy was being guarded by Zach Levine, but uh, and the Bulls were playing kind of small with Thad Young at center for a little bit there. In general, right? You, if you're playing against a team that's playing, you know, four out, one in with a traditional center in drop coverage, there you should only have that guy to worry about at the rim when Jeremy Gant drives. Well, like on the other hand Blake was still getting a not insignificant amount of post-ups and shot creation opportunities he wasn't always converting them but he was still getting those opportunities and it's not immediately like clear to me where those shots should go and but what is clear to me is that Jeremy Grant can't absorb all of those shots right Earlier this season, I was pleasantly surprised with how the Pistons were getting Jeremy into advantage situations and having him attack from there. Without Blake, I am slightly worried that we're going to see more isolations and less movement and off-ball stuff from Jeremy Grant. We saw a lot of that in the fourth quarter tonight where the Pistons were just like putting the ball in Jeremy Grant's hands and saying go, and it was working. Um, But what really impressed me was the first half where Jeremy Grant got going because he got, you know, a couple, I think it was, he hit three open corner three looks. And like, if your number one option is able to sit in the corner and get open looks because you're generating offense uh, elsewhere that he is feeding off of, I think that's a, that's a good thing. And that's something that I hope continues. I hope the Pistons don't pressure Jeremy Grant to be, um, don't force him into being a dynamic offensive talent all the time because I honestly worry about how he'll hold up. That's not a new critique from me. You guys have heard me talk about that before, but at the same time, like it, it is a big concern, right? Um, I, I wonder about how he is holding up. He shot, uh, he shot what six free throws tonight. Hang on. I'm checking. 
He shot nine free throws tonight. It was nine of nine. Okay, so that's really good. And again, he had a really uh, insane offensive night tonight against the Chicago Bulls. I believe all nine of those free throws came in the second half. Um, but and so that's the balance, right? You have to find a way to get him uh, attacking the rim in pick and roll situations, attacking the rim in isolation situations, and those are the possessions and where he's going to draw fouls most likely. But you also have to find space for him to take uh, open corner threes for him to get in a rhythm shooting the ball without having to dribble, honestly. Maybe even uh, a, a, a back cut or two would not go amiss. The The first play of the game against the Bulls, they ran uh, an action for uh, for Wayne to get an open three, but part of that action was like a, uh, was Jeremy, uh, was Wayne setting a, a, a back pick for Jeremy Grant to cut to the rim? Like if that would have been open? Like, yeah, that's like, that's like, yeah, it's Jeremy Grant just standing at the rim open. Like, yeah, you should give him the ball. And so uh, you, you hope that the Pistons continue to try and scheme ways to get Jeremy Grant the ball in advantage situations and score efficiently for, for his health and for the health of the team. Right. The, the second big thing that Blake Griffin's absence really opens up is playing time for second Numbuya and Sadiq Bay. You know, Sadiq Bey is your starting small forward now. It's a big promotion from him. You, you love to see it. Seku is, of course, probably your full-time backup power forward. He is still out with a concussion. He did not play tonight against Chicago. I wonder if we'll see him uh, in the next game against Memphis. I wonder if we'll see him until next week. And this is just truly an unfortunately timed uh, injury for Seku. Fortunately, because Blake isn't coming back, the opportunity will still be present for Seku, like whenever he's ready to play. You know, the the extra opportunity for those two guys, uh, hopefully, you know, they take advantage of it, but it still means the critiques of their game are even more relevant, right? With with more time, we need to figure out exactly what Seku is good at <laughs> besides being 6'9 with long arms. We, we saw some really nice flashes when he played center against the Pacers last week. I talked about that with Mark Schindler on this podcast. You can go check out that episode. Um, but, you know, similarly, when there's when he's playing power forward, there might be like a big lurking under the rim, making it more difficult for him to finish around the rim. Um, if he's at if he's uh, if he's at center, though, he could be pulling the big kind of out, away from the basket and he has a speed advantage over most big men. And so he'd be able to kind of convert in that manner. But he's not going to play center full time. That's not going to be his, his full time role. Um, and so you wonder how he's going to make things happen in a half court setting. That's not like back cutting a sleeping defender. Like, don't get me wrong. Back cutting sleeping defenders is good, but it is dependent. It is dependent on defenders being asleep. It is dependent on the defense not reacting to what uh, Seku is doing. So you hope that he can be a little bit more independent. You, you hope he can start to show um, a little bit more self-creation. You, you hope he is aggressive with the ball in his hands when he gets the opportunity. I hope more than anything else, he goes up strong when he gets the chance to go around the rim. That's something I've been just really frustrated with at times that he doesn't 
uh, go up with the strength I think is necessary to to convert or get fouled. And he's a you know decent free throw shooter. I think he could stand to shoot a little bit more free throws. But either way, he's going to have a big opportunity to play solid minutes every night. And so the the things we're looking for for him should be like paid even more attention to. Sadiq, on the other hand. Sadiq, that's Eastern Conference Player of the Week. Sadiq Bay to you. He needs to be better at finishing around the rim. Um, he, he was good about that tonight. He had a couple of really nice off-ball uh, cuts and, uh, and finishes around the rim in that manner. You'd love to see that. He had a really nice uh, drop-off pass to Mason Plumley in the pick-and-roll in the final minute of a game against the Bulls, which is not something I ever expected to see. He managed to go, what, uh, he only went one for five from three tonight, but he got to the free throw line five times and, you know, collected seven rebounds. And so played a, a very solid game. You, you like what, uh, I like what I've seen from Sadiq. I'm glad that he's getting more of an opportunity. Um, if he, and he still made a positive impact tonight, only shooting one of five from three. And I think that's that's like the way forward for him, right? He's not going to shoot seven of seven from three every night like he did against Boston. If he did shoot seven of seven from three every night, then like that would paper over a lot of sins. But it but it's not going to happen. The other thing that I think is great for Sadiq is that he's already proven to be a consistent defensive presence like don't get me wrong I don't think he was gonna like shut down Zach Levine tonight that very clearly didn't happen and I think they, they started out with that matchup and it turned out like okay but um, you, you worry about how he'll hold up in uh, isolation defense just because he's not the most uh, laterally explosive athlete the Pistons have on the team you, you see the you see the coaching staff kind of give Josh Jackson more difficult wing defensive assignments to kind of protect Sadiq uh, in isolation in, in those ways. Like Josh, for example, like Josh Jackson drew the, Z- the Zach Levine assignment later in the game. So like that, uh, that is going to be a next step for Sadiq, you know, gaining the the trust of the coaching staff on some of the better wing players that he's going to face as a starter. But uh, I think he'll be able to do that in time. And I, I have faith uh, in his abilities to, if he's not doing that, like still be a positive impact on the defensive end, uh, especially with his rebounding. I commented about his rebounding, you know, during the Chicago game. He's a great rebounder. Uh, high points the ball, two hands every single time. You, you love to see it. Uh, the third ripple effect from Blake's absence is that, like, the dominoes are not going to stop falling, right? Dwayne in the in the first post, uh, excuse me, in the first press availability after we got the news about Blake, Dwayne mentioned three guys. He mentioned Sek, mentioned Seku, he mentioned Sadiq, and he mentioned Svi Mikhailuk. Svi Mikhailuk doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, yes, Sadiq is starting, and like Sadiq was kind of the guys, one of the guys, like fighting with Svi for minutes or in competition with Svi for minutes, and so like that kind of makes sense, but it almost kind of doesn't. But then James Edwards, the third at The Athletic, was nice enough on his podcast, The Bun and Cardigan Show, to uh, draw and connect the dots for us a little bit on that one. It means the team is still trying to move Wayne. Oh, they're going to trade 
Wayne. That's going to open up minutes for speed. That makes much more sense. And so we'll be on the lookout for that, right? Like Wayne has been a effective role player for this team. He could be even more effective for a team with more uh, perimeter talent around him. And so I wouldn't be surprised if the team is able to trade Wayne, you know, closer to the deadline to somebody who needs the perimeter shooting and open up minutes for Svee that way. But, you know, Blake Griffin's absence, you know, shows again that they're not afraid to play their young guys. They they like what they have in their young guys and they're not afraid to, to see more of them. Uh, you know, on the other side or on a, another hand of like roster reconstruction, continuing trades, continuing to try to happen. Um, we got a report from Jason Dumas, Dumas, Dumas. I don't know how to pronounce your name, Jason. I apologize. Jason Dumas of Bleacher Report that the Philadelphia 76ers had called about DeLon Wright. Not necessarily that, you know, the Pistons were offering up DeLon, but that the Sixers kind of called and said, like, hey, what would it take to get him? You know, with the Killian Hayes injury uh, today marks the today, Wednesday marks the fourth week of his eight week reevaluation period. So hopefully we will have more news about Killian Hayes in a month from now. But with Killian Hayes' injury, I don't think the Pistons can afford to trade DeLon. They need someone to keep the offense moving. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. had a nice game tonight, but he had 10 points on nine shots, only one assist, and was, you know, a net neutral in uh, a single game plus minus. And so, you know, I like Dennis Smith Jr. You can listen to what I said about Dennis Smith Jr. last week with Mark Schindler. But I'm not quite ready to anoint Dennis Smith Jr. the uh, the starting point guard for this team. I would really like to keep DeLon as someone who can organize a team, initiate offense, um, score a little bit. He's been more aggressive uh, looking for his shot in the limited or like in the non-Blake minutes. He shot, he only had nine shots tonight, and I think that was probably a mistake. He probably needs to shoot about 12 times a game as a starter. And so, yeah, and, and, uh, he's been playing well. And so you, you hope he, he continues to play well and gets the team kind of into the offense. But, uh, yeah, without without him on this team, right, without him on this team and Killian still hurt, it'd be, you know, Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Jackson, and Saban Lee. So, like, you know, three guys who have proven very, very little at the NBA level. Um, that is perhaps good for the tank, and we're going to talk about the tank in a second, actually. That is uh, having the three point guards is perhaps like pretty good for the tank, but that's not necessarily beneficial to the development of the other young guys on the floor, right? Having a bad point guard means, you know, Sui Mikai Luke isn't necessarily getting all the shots that are open that are available to him. You know, it's not necessarily putting it's, uh, you know, Sadiq in a position to succeed on, you know, proper passes or the offense being run properly. Um, you think especially for a guy like Seku, right? A guy who at this point in time is a dependent talent, needs other intelligent passers around him, needs guys who recognize when he's open around him. Yeah, removing another guy who, you know, has that recognition, has that discernment, probably not great for, for Seku's development. And so like yeah, keeping Delon I think is is the right move for now. 
If you don't have players on the field with the right skills, whether it's breakaway speed or elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The, the other thing that the Blake trade had me wondering about was the tank. I, I, I wonder about how good this team is. We can all look and see that Blake wasn't playing very well, but he was playing a lot. How well the team will play in his absence is an open question. Removing a large net negative from a bad team should make them better. And it pains me to say, but like Blake was a pretty large net negative for this team. Uh, I've, I've obsessed with this after every win this season. And the Pistons are still at the top of the tankathon board. Um, they've won three out of their last five games. It was a terrible third quarter of basketball from being four out of their last five games. They have continuously and consistently underperformed their net rating all year. You, you love the hustle. You love the fight. You love the scrappiness that this team plays with every night. But you do have to wonder at some point if that costs them a shot at a top draft pick. Now, the, this, is a, this, is a, this isn't a flip-flop. A flip-flop. This is an evolution. We're going to go with evolution. This is an evolution of a position I had earlier this year when, frankly, I thought the team would be better record-wise than they are now. I thought Blake would be healthier. I thought Derrick Rose would be better out of the gate. I didn't think Jeremy Grant would be this good, but I thought the supporting pieces around him would be better. And, you know, I thought this team would be, you know, functionally where the Bulls are now, a couple games, where the Bulls and the Knicks are now, right? Like a couple games under 500. Um, the point I made at the beginning of the year when I thought that was going to be the case was that the restructured lottery odds are not, they don't incentivize a race to the bottom in terms of wins and losses in the way that they have in the past. If you are the New Orleans Pelicans and you win 33 games, you can still add Zion Williamson. If you win 34 games as the Memphis Grizzlies, you can still add John Morant, right? If you were projected to win 35 games before a global pandemic ended the season and you're the Charlotte Hornets, you can still jump uh, some other teams, including the Detroit Pistons and draft LaMelo Ball at three, right? You can still, you can win a 
decent number of games and still have a shot in moving up in the lottery of an impact player. Now, the I think that was more that was a more acceptable uh, line of thinking when the Pistons were gonna be kind of scrapping it out with other teams uh, at the beginning of the year. Where they are now, though, uh, it's lowering the floor on the pick, not not the ceiling. Um, the worst record in the league at the absolute worst can get the fifth pick, right? Uh, the second re- worst record in the league can get the sixth pick. And so you, you run into situations where, you know, if the Pistons fight and scrap and compete and end up the, you know, fourth worst team in the league, you could pick like eighth and that's not good. That would take, that'd be very unlucky, but it's possible. And so it is, and you know, the Pistons have never been lucky in the lottery. And so a lot of people would prefer to remove all element of doubt and just be the worst team in the league and go into things with a 40% chance at a top, at a top four pick, right? I can't, in good conscience, argue that anymore after looking at how the season is going. The other thing that has really kind of caused me to reevaluate my position on this is the draft itself, right? I told you and others that I'm not going to do draft stuff until the year is at least halfway through. Uh, the Pistons are at game 29 of a 72-game season. Half of 72 is 36. We are not quite halfway through the season, and so I am going to focus on the product on the floor for now. I have not started doing deep dive draft stuff. I promise deep dive draft stuff is coming. I will have guests on the podcast who are smarter than me about the draft, and you can listen to them tell you about this draft. But what it's but my initial impression of the draft so far is that it is a three player draft. There are three franchise altering talents in this year's draft. Um, and there are a lot of other guys who are good players, but not but there are three like very clear franchise altering talents. And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to say who those guys are. If you've been following me on Twitter or listening to me on the board or on this podcast, you can probably guess who they are, but uh, you know, I'll leave some element of mystery for that future draft podcast. But um, to me, having identified three guys and only three guys as, you know, game changers for the Detroit Pistons, it becomes much more imperative for the team, maybe not necessarily to get the number one overall pick, but for them to put themselves in the position, in the best position to at least end up with a top three pick. And so, uh, you know, yes, the lottery odds are flatter now. Yes. Uh, you know, you could, you could win 19 games and pick fifth, but the the best chance you have of getting a game-changing, franchise-changing talent in this particular year's draft is to get a top three pick. And so the Pistons should do everything in their power to get a top three pick. You know, 
I love the energy. I love the competitiveness. I love the fight. But like this Chicago game is the perfect outcome for for this team where Jeremy Grant plays extremely well. Other guys step up and have great nights and they lose a very, very close game, a very, very tough game after having won, you know, again, after having won three out of their uh, previous four games. It's like, you know, get some wins. Absolutely. Keep the mood in the locker room high. Keep the vibe good. But like, you know, lose 70 percent of your games. And, you know, you know, maybe I'm overreacting. Um, They did get beat pretty badly by the Indiana Pacers. Um, They did get beat pretty badly by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, They lost every single game they played on a West Coast road trip, you know, less than two weeks ago. And so, like, maybe I'm overreacting at the prospect of, like, the Pistons being competitive and scrappy and, you know, winning the last three out of their four games. Um, But the other thing is that the Pistons have played a really tough schedule. You are not just imagining things. I believe that I read somewhere that the Pistons have played the third hardest schedule in the league. Um, And so if they start playing better and they start playing easier opponents... And those easier opponents are going to be their main competition in the draft for draft position. Like that makes things dicey. Uh, it stands to reason that they're going to win more games against bad teams than good ones. Even though, as we all know, the Pistons only beat good teams, but still, like it, it stands, it stands to reason that they will eventually like beat some bad teams as as they play them. Um, and so just, just keep an eye on that, right? Uh, Chicago, losing to Chicago, great. Um, a, a loss to San Antonio this week would have been, would have been spectacular, right? They're, they're going to play, they're going to play Charlotte, uh, in the future, right? They're going to play Orlando. There we go. They're, they're going to play Orlando later this week. And Orlando is, you know, just beat up to all hell and it'd be really beneficial to, to lose a game to the Orlando Magic. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, the the other thing is, like, you know, other teams are winning games. The Wizards are winning games here and there. The Timberwolves are winning games here and there. Those are the two main teams the Pistons are jockeying with for the worst record in the league right now. And and so, like, as those teams continue to uh, to play better and win games, like, that's good for the Pistons. Um, maybe it's, it's probably beneficial for the Pistons to be the worst team in the league, but if you're the worst team in the league by one game or five games, doesn't matter. Uh, be the worst team in the league by one game, you know, win all the games you can, but you know, still be the worst, still have the best shot of that top three pick of that impact player. So yeah, that was pretty much everything I had tonight. Jeremy Grant again was insanely good tonight uh you know 43 points on 25 shots did everything you could possibly ask uh, a star player to do tonight i hope we get more performances like this from jeremy grant Uh, i hope this answers that one guy's question about you know which piston is going to be the next 40 point scorer or when are the pistons going to have a 40 point score on their team again that i got a couple weeks ago for uh the, the mailbag i did a couple weeks ago like it was ridiculous. We knew Jeremy Grant was going to score forty at some point this season, um, but yeah, man, this uh, this team is this team's going to be bad. Hopefully, uh, this team's going to be scrappy. 
and bad and we're going to get a top three pick that's the current plan and i see no reason to uh, adjust things the only other thing i'll say is like i really want to see sekudun buya i hope that his concussion is uh is going well for him i don't even know if he like made the flight uh into chicago um i uh, concussions are, are very serious injuries right it's a it's a brain injury you don't want injuries to your brain just just straight up and so uh you know i hope he's you know resting nicely healing nicely and that he's ready to go and the piston and pistons fans and the pistons team and the coaching staff and the front office really gets a chance to evaluate what he's capable of with you know 20 consistent minutes a night where his role is explicitly delineated uh, in the offense and there's no black there's no backup plan behind him right we we saw like we saw like Sadiq Bey playing the four tonight because they they didn't have Seku right and and he got stretched to 32 minutes because you know they didn't have another wing player to help absorb those minutes so yeah I, I you know Jeremy Grant's playing really well uh, and I hope we see more from Seku and don't win too many games that would scare me all right that's the podcast thank you for listening I truly appreciate it for staying with me through you know 39 minutes on our on a random uh thursday morning uh during a season during a global pandemic um if you liked the podcast please rate it and subscribe it on apple Podcasts, on stitcher on spotify wherever you get your podcasts um if you want more of my thoughts on the detroit pistons you can follow me on twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e i also host another podcast the detroit bad boys podcast you can listen to that podcast on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast on Um, this has been pistons versus everybody thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week see you later